eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, July 18th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Been ready to get back in the studio. Been back in Columbus for a couple of personal reasons over the last week. A lot of mileage put on the Jeep. Happy to be here. We are live as live can be and jam-packed as jam-packed can be. I was just talking to Director Colin right before we came in here. You know, we have not taken any off weeks. We've not taken vacations, almost as dirty a word as off-season on the show. So we have not really taken any. But you know, in all that time, We have not put forth a single ranking, a single prediction, a single list, none of that. That's about to change really quickly over the next month. So by a month from now, we'll be right into the heart of fall camps. We will go to three live shows per week. That's coming towards the end of July. So in like a couple of weeks, we'll be going back to three shows per week format. The Pate State mascot will be unveiled within the next month. A lot of you have been asking. Yes, we will unveil that. Grand season previews will be coming. Everything you could ever need to know, and quite frankly, a lot of stuff you don't even want to know about all the major teams out there, and then some will be coming your way. We'll have best, worst, most likely record scenarios. The Ramen Noodle Express is about to crank back up. We'll have our whispers and intel features that we get from various staffs and insiders all across the country, plus some more things that I'm not even legally allowed to tell you just yet. But you'll see. Trust me, you'll see. As for the show tonight, though, so that's in the future. As for the show tonight, an innocent tweet goes out this morning around 11 o'clock, and I just wanted to know what would shock you this year? What would really turn the sport on its ear if it were to happen in the year of our Lord 2021? And it took off so much I had to lead the show with it. We'll do that in just a second. Also, there's a really good feature over on The Athletic that is not only echoing a lot of the sentiment that's been expressed on this show about recruiting in the state of Florida, but it took it 10 steps further. They got like eight or 10 anonymous high school coaches down there in Florida and a couple of scouting types, all of whom have been in the game for at least a decade, if not more, to just talk about Florida State, Miami, Florida, and a lot of the outside forces like Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama that have raided the state of talent. I got some wild stats. I've got some direct quotes, and I've got some thoughts about that because that's the biggest key in college football right now. It's the biggest story in college football. It's not the playoff. It's not the NIL situation. It is the talent drain from Florida and to somewhat of a lesser degree, the state of Texas and California. I'm going to do all that. We had a commitment wave. We just had a big one pop about an hour and a half ago, so we're going to touch on all that. It's been a busy weekend. Plus, I'm going to give you some thoughts about the future of Clemson football. As I told you, we're jam-packed. It sounds like I just previewed a three-hour show, but I promise you we'll get this in in less than an hour. Media days are this week, and your boy, 
may have just wiggled himself off the hook for going to Hoover, Alabama. So if not, and uh, dot, dot, dot on that one, but if I'm not down there, stay tuned to the Twitter and Instagram channels at LateKickJosh. There will be several little trinkets, little little nuggets or tidbits of information you're going to want there that will only be there. Follow me, at LateKickJosh. And I wanted to, but as we dive in tonight, I wanted to give you guys a little heads up. I know you go to the grocery store or you go to the gas station and you pick up your college football preview magazines. I'm all for it. I love preview magazine season as much as the next guy, but some of you have been asking me which ones are my favorite. Well, I buy all of them, but I wanted to give some shout outs. This won't be the last one, but I wanted to give some shout outs. Our buddy Brett over at Pick 6 Previews, they released their full season preview. You can find them on Twitter at Pick 6 Previews. I think it's a really good product. They're not paying me. Brett's not paying me to endorse this. I pay my hard-earned money just like you do to download it. I would encourage you, though, if you're into the deeper, more analytical dive, some unique angles, a little bit more meat on the bone for each than maybe you get in your typical preview magazine, I would encourage you to check that out. I'm all for people taking advantage of the digital landscape and releasing digital copies of what you would classically define as a preview magazine. So go check that out. Again, uh, not a paid endorsement. I think my contract says I have to say that. All right, let's dive into the show tonight because, my goodness, look at all this. I think I went through a pen and a half worth of ink just writing this stuff down. So this morning I'm on Twitter. It was 11.09 a.m., and I tweet out a question, as I sometimes do, in sort of one of those autopilot moments, just kind of like to have a free-flowing conversation with you. And I said, and I quote, when blank happens, it'll turn college football upside down in 2021. I just asked you to fill in the blank. The only guideline I gave you, was it has to be somewhat realistic. Well, we got some, to varying degrees of realism, we got some, and I wanted to go down the list because you guys did such a great job, I figured let's just go ahead and lead the show with this. Again, these are not official predictions, although they all could happen. The first one, and I think maybe one of the more popular ones, was Ohio State being upset early in the season. So let me kick you this scenario. It's week two, right? And Oregon's playing Ohio State. Well, that's not what we're going to talk about. I think everyone's attention is on week two, but a lot of you said, excuse me, this is not NFL. It's not a preseason game when Ohio State goes up to Minnesota on that Thursday night in week one. Like, they're actually going to count that in the Big Ten standings. Hey, what if Minnesota just outright beats the Buckeyes? Thursday night in week one, what if it were to happen? And before you tell me, well, I would just be gobsmacked. On what planet could that happen? The spread's 13 and a half. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Our buddy AFP, among several others of you, submitted this as a potential scenario. Now, here's the way it probably happens, or the reason it probably happens, or reasons. AFP kind of submitted it, and I just went along with it. It would have a lot to do with probably an under-evaluation of Minnesota's roster because they returned pretty much everyone, and they got gutted by COVID last year. So you have a lot of experience returning, combined with an undervalued roster because a lot of it didn't get to see meaningful playing time last year. You also, on the Ohio State side of things, have in all likelihood C.J. Stroud making not only his first start, but it's a road start. I've already told you how I feel about the enhanced value of home field advantage, especially first half of the college football season this fall. And you may even have the look-ahead angle here. How many times, I think famously last year, Iowa State fit this description. How many times have we seen high expectation and you see a week one game that you've already sort of looked past, but it's like a 13, 14, 14 and a half point spread. So the odds makers are telling you don't look past this. And you look past it and boom, 
All of a sudden, your buddy's texting you, hey, are you watching this Ohio State-Minnesota game? No, I'm out to eat. I'm at Chili's with my buddies. What's happening? And then they text back, what are you doing at Chili's? And then secondly, they say, you need to turn this on. Or maybe if it's a reputable Chili's, they should have it on. Because Minnesota's leading 33-30. to It's a wild shootout. Whomst saw this coming? Well, AFP, at the very least, along with many more of you in my mentions, say that you may see it coming. So there's that, and I want to bookmark that because I'm not done talking about this whole concept of major top five upsets early in the year. Here's another one that I think a vast majority of you mentioned if you were giving me lists. I got a lot of Miami over Alabama in week one. So that one was really popular. But combined with that, I wanted to go to another team in the state of Florida because a lot of you also said, look at week three. Look at all these big early season tests for the big boys. What about Alabama going to the swamp week three? What if Florida takes down Alabama? Now, this is going to be our first real taste of Florida. See, we get to see Bama against Miami in the season opener. You're seeing Alabama's schedule right now. And, you know, let's not overlook the Mercer Bears in week two. Far be it for us to do that. But with Florida, I think they play Florida Atlantic. They play USF. I looked at our odds-making model. We would favor them by about four touchdowns or more in both of their first two games. So Dan Mullen doesn't really have to open it up, you would think. And so week three, not only does Florida get that supreme benefit of an early season raucous home environment at the Swamp, Alabama comes in there with a new quarterback of their own in Bryce Young. Now you think Alabama in the past has just been borderline invincible. They've been immune to a lot of these college football factors that would impact lesser programs or mortal programs. Maybe, but we don't know. We don't know what Alabama is going to be yet. And so there's that. But then within the context of this potential Ohio State loss and a potential Alabama loss, a lot of you took the added liberty of just saying, all right, well, let's just say if both of those are going to happen, let's just go ahead and say Georgia beats Clemson in week one, too. Well, if that were to happen, friends, we would have a week four starting with Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State all with a loss on the resume. Now, if any combination of that happens in and of itself, it's newsworthy. But if we were to not even make it through the first quarter of the season before the Buckeyes, Tide, and Tigers all had losses, how's that for your precious parody? How's that for balancing your sport out? We didn't even have to expand the playoff to get all that. That would be obviously a huge newsmaker in the world of college football. But we weren't done. You guys were just getting warmed up. So then we move on. And then someone mentioned Florida State. And someone mentioned Mackenzie Milton. We talked about this a lot about a month ago. We did a couple of shows on it. What if Mackenzie Milton is not only all the way healed, I mean, what if he's healed and then some? What if he is not only what he once was, but he's performing equal to or maybe even better than the level you saw? Now, a lot of you would say that's unlikely to very unlikely, but not impossible. As long as it's not impossible, it has a home in this particular segment. If that were to happen, then a lot of you kicked the following scenario. Mackenzie Milton is far above and beyond expectation level, and as a result, Florida State shocks Notre Dame in week one. It's the total inverse of what happened last year when Georgia Tech upset Notre Dame or upset Florida State in week one at Doak. And so here's what happens. In all likelihood, if Florida State is good enough to beat Notre Dame, then they're probably also good enough to be 6-0 and on October 9th when they go to North Carolina, at which point our buddies over at College Football Nerds chime in and say, well, if they're going that far, why don't we just have them go into Chapel Hill and beat North Carolina, at which point not only do we have to totally reassess the ACC and reassess what Florida State is, but we may be looking in the mirror and saying, did we overvalue North Carolina? Where is North Carolina at that point? That would be a huge shakeup in the ACC. 
I haven't talked about the Big 12 yet. Well, that's about to change in three, two, one. What about Iowa State? My Cyclones. Side note, I'm at the gym in Columbus, Georgia the other night. I had to go home, and I'm with a buddy, and there's one other gentleman in the gym. It's just us three. It's like 9.30 at night. Keep in mind, the pinpoint on the map is Columbus, Georgia. We get through with our workout. My guy's walking out. He turns back around, comes up to me, and proceeds to thank me for all the Iowa State coverage. Says he grew up in Cedar Rapids. Lifelong Iowa State fan. Stationed at Fort Benning. That's why he's down in Columbus. And we had a nice five or ten minute chat about the inner workings of Iowa State athletics. It was one of the top ten moments of my life. I don't think I'm overstating that, Colin. Top ten life moment for me. Right there talking Iowa State football at 9.30 at night at a gym in Columbus, Georgia. With that in mind... What if Iowa State wins the Big 12 this year? I think you'd have varying degrees of surprise. I can't label this a shocker. I mean, it's one of the top 10 teams in the country coming into this season in any given poll you look at. So it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world. They return the entire team virtually from one that played for a Big 12 title last year. And I feel like they were about minus half a dozen turnovers in that game. If you can't tell, I still carry a little bit of that in my heart, a little bit of that pain. But if they win the Big 12... It's a huge feather in the cap for Matt Campbell. It's a huge feather in the cap for the Iowa State Cyclones. And I probably get a lower back tattoo commemorating the occasion. But my follow-up on that, if this were to occur, is what's happened to Oklahoma? Is this one of those situations, because these teams theoretically would play twice in this scenario, is this one of those deals where Oklahoma beats Iowa State in the regular season and then they follow it up a couple of weeks later with a poor turnover performance of their own, and Iowa State clips them 30-27, to but that's Oklahoma's only loss, and they're still in the playoff? Or is this a situation where Iowa State beats Oklahoma twice, and Oklahoma, after coming in with the Heisman Trophy favorite, number one in many reputable preseason publications, they don't even make the playoff, and they don't win their own conference for the first time in seemingly forever, How would that change the perception of Lincoln Riley? Like This takeaway, even though it's about Iowa State, has a lot more Oklahoma dripping from it than Iowa State because we know what we feel for better or for slightly less better about Iowa State. So there's that. But then I think the biggest overall shocker to me, even out of all the scenarios we've just presented, the one where someone said, what if a Pac-12 team wins the national championship? That's the one that made me drop the pen and I crossed the arms and I... And I had to save the pen from going off the desk. And I crossed the arms and I said, Colin, should we even put this in the show? Because we said it has to be realistic. And in the interest of fairness and in the interest of honoring mathematics, the percentage chance of this happening does just meet the minimum baseline requirement that we are going to honor it. What if a Pac-12 team wins the national championship? Now, I asked for what would shake up college football in 2021. Well, this would shake up college football in 2021 and beyond. I've got to think we're only talking about two teams here. All due respect to Washington, I do not think the maximum capacity of that team is that of championship. Could very well be playoff. In fact, they may have better playoff odds than Oregon and USC, even though those are the two teams, I'm telling you, are the only two with the overall talent roster probably capable of pulling this very, very, like, thread the uh, eye of a needle sort of uh, scenario off. But Oregon and USC, if one of them wins the national championship, I don't know how it happens, Obviously, quarterback comes through and the whole team has to come through, but that would turn college football on its ear because all of a sudden you'd have to sing a different tune about the Pac-12, obviously. Think about being the brand new commissioner. The commissioner of the Pac-12 is so new, I haven't even learned how to pronounce his last name. Full disclosure. But imagine being Mr. Commissioner and you walk in 
and then Oregon or Southern Cal just hand you a national championship on a silver platter right as you're getting ready to go into new TV negotiations with not only traditionals, but also new age streaming platforms, all of a sudden, you get to swagger a little bit when you walk in the room. Your shoulders, you don't feel slouched over. You got really good big chest posture, and all of a sudden, the Pac-12 matters again. You got to take us seriously again. Hey, I can't say I would hate it. It would be very good for college football. Now, some others that I thought merited some discussion before we uh, move on. Ohio State opening 0-2. So this obviously goes off the Minnesota pulls the upset over Ohio State, but then they don't recover the next week and Oregon beats them. That would be the biggest story in college football this year. Outside of some ridiculous scandal unfolding, Ryan Day and the Buckeyes, they get to the national championship game. Folks like me are telling you next to Nick Saban, I take Ryan Day over anyone. And then they start 0-2. Colin, the more I think about it, this will be detrimental for the show. So... Let's go for the split, at least, if we're in Columbus. Cincinnati being undefeated this year. Some of you said, what if Cincinnati beats Indiana and Notre Dame? They played both of them this year. And then they win their conference, they win their conference title, but they still don't go to the playoff. I'm going to put it on record right now. If Cincinnati's undefeated, they're in the playoff. I know there's this misnomer out there, and I think that's exactly what it is, that the G5 is just outright barred. There's one of those imaginary fences, and the G5 has a shot collar on it, and if they ever try to get in the playoff, they get zapped. No, there's no G5 team that has ever warranted a spot in the playoff over the four that have been selected. But if Cincinnati wins their conference, they beat two Power Fives that a lot is expected of in Notre Dame and Indiana at some point this year or any point this year, If that's the resume, I think they're going to be in the playoff. I don't care if there's a G5 sticker on their helmet or not. And last I checked, they do not make G5 stickers. Uh, Georgia doesn't win the SEC East was one that some of you floated. And that would be uncomfortable for a lot of folks. And one of them has the initials KS. That would be uncomfortable. Florida's got to play LSU and Bama this year. Georgia doesn't have to play either one of them. Uh, Georgia has a tailor-made schedule. they got a tailor-made quarterback situation. It's the best overall shot they've got to make some postseason noise in a run where they've already been to a national title game. If they don't win the East, there's a lot of rethinking going on there. How about Arkansas beats not only Texas in Week 2, but Texas A&M in Week 4? Arkansas is 2-0 against the state of Texas, and we're not even out of September yet. The ACC grades out as the best overall conference in America. Now, that one sounds crazy, but you got to remember the ACC has the best quarterback situation by a little ways in America this year. I know a lot of the spotlight's on DJ Uyangalale, but what would make this come to fruition is the 13 other returning quarterbacks with starting experience all up and down the ACC roster, and then Clemson also coming through. So you'd have Clemson being their usual powerhouse, And then you'd have several other legitimate programs playing top 10, top 15 caliber ball. I'm thinking Miami, thinking North Carolina. You'd need a Boston College or a Virginia Tech to pop at some point this year. All that plus, I think some of the national powers have to fall down to earth or either you get national powers and just a bunch of garbage underneath them in multiple conferences. This was a fun exercise. Something tells me, and that something's going to be the comment section on this video, something tells me we're not going to be done with that. So feel free to submit, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, at Josh, or right here in the comment section, give me the plausible scenario that would totally turn college football on its ear in 2021 if it were to indeed happen. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let's move on. Oh boy. So I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. As I got home last night, trying to kill some time before I eventually got tired and went to sleep, and I saw over on The Athletic, they had done a really, really good job of encapsulating exactly what we have been talking about. I want to pull it up so I can give proper attribution. They've done a really good job of what we've been talking about, about recruiting. Now, sometimes when I talk recruiting, you guys tune out. You don't need to tune out. I don't care if you are totally lukewarm on recruiting, because I'm not breaking down a specific player right now. I'm telling you what the most important thing in the sport is. Colin, I'm about to give you your endpoint, and it will come right about now. Yeah, I think we're good enough now. Okay, so you guys know we've talked about this a lot. Recruiting in the state of Florida is one of the names of this game. There is a lot of talk out there about a lot of things. The most important ongoing story in college football to me is not NIL. It is not expanding the playoff. It is not anything to do with the transfer portal It is the ongoing in-state talent drain from Texas and, to a larger degree, the state of Florida. Alabama, to give you a comparison here, has pulled more five-star kids out of the state of Florida since 2016 than Florida, Miami, and Florida State combined. Allow me to repeat for those of you all the way in the back over there. The University of Alabama, MapQuest says they're located in Tuscaloosa. The University of Alabama has pulled more five-star players from Florida since 2016 than the big three combined. And it's not close. It's nine to six. That's a big story, okay? Likewise, I think the best regulator on this sport has nothing to do with expanding the playoff. The best regulator on this sport is not NIL, and the best regulator on this sport is not the transfer portal. If you want balance, you have to have the big three in Florida and Texas and Texas A&M in Texas and Southern Cal and the state of California heaping a majority of their in-state talent home. It's just that simple. Do you understand the two-fold alteration of college football that brings? Not only do you get traditional powers or what should be traditional powers in the big three in Florida, Texas, Texas A&M, Southern Cal, not only do they improve themselves, but can you imagine watching Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama without all the talent from those three states on their roster? How different does the last five, ten years of college football look? How different would the next five or ten years of college football look? So it's more pronounced in Florida, which is the reason I want to focus on it a little bit here. And so Manny Navarro and G. Allen Taylor did a wonderful job 
on The Athletic. This is still on the front page of college football over there if you want to go take a look at it. They obviously took some time on this. They went and they found 10 coaches and scouts, all of whom have been there at least a decade, right there on the ground in the Florida high school scene. And they shared some very general themes. So since you're anonymous, you can say whatever you want to. Sounds like some of these guys, especially Coach Seven, would say whether he wanted to, whether he was anonymous or not. But they shared some general themes. There's going to be some negativity in this, but I want to try and balance it out because it was not all negative. I mean, these high school coaches, if anything, it's in their best interest to see the big three in Florida succeed. Most of these guys, make no mistake, they're pulling for Manny Diaz. They're pulling for Mike Norvell. They're pulling for Dan Mullen. They want those schools to succeed. They don't want to be sending these in-state kids to Clemson and Columbus and Tuscaloosa, but they're also not going to prevent them from doing it if that's where the best opportunity lies for them to advance themselves. And that is and has been, over the past few years, the current state of college football. So here's what I wanted to do. I'm going to read you some of these quotes. If you want to see the entire thing, uh, it's obviously it's behind a paywall. It's over at The Athletic, uh, but it's really, really good. Some of the general themes here, let's start with Florida State. And this is understandable because it's a brand new staff. A lot of the coaches talked about them being very professional. A lot of the coaches talked about the Florida State staff having their ducks in order. They're, they're very organized, but they're still feeling themselves out. And I say Florida a lot, but if you're familiar with Florida, there are several geographical recruiting territories, one of which is not like the other is not like the other. I mean, if you're talking about the Panhandle versus Tampa versus Dade County, these are three different worlds. And so if you're Mike Norvell, you can only do one thing at a time. You can only do one day at a time. So they're still trying to familiarize themselves with the different recruiting scenes in Florida, which is to be understood, but they've gotten good early returns. These are good things in this piece that are being said anonymously about Florida State and their efforts by high school coaches. Miami, there were also very, very good returns about Miami. In fact, I would say, woven throughout this story, the best consensus feedback was for the staff at Miami, which is ironic, and a lot of you would think that's ironic following recruiting right now, because Miami is not exactly performing at the highest level in the world in the current cycle. But Manny Diaz has commented on this and said, well, that's okay, we're going to make our noise at the end. Well, that's fine, because I'm just going to bookmark it, and I'm going to revisit that at the end. If Miami is still floating outside the top 30 at the end, it's inexcusable. Right now, it is what it is. As for Florida, this is where you're going to get the most criticism, because I think Florida staff is the most polarizing. They've been around the longest. Uh, They've had the most success. They're the best program in Florida right now. And so Dan Mullen is a very unique, very eccentric guy. He's going to be either a love him or hate him type of guy. So there were more probably negative quotes per capita in this story about Florida and Dan Mullen than there were about any other coaching staff. But I don't think that that's a direct indication that Florida's got the third best coaching staff in the state. Far from it, in fact, because what was talked about was Mullen being more selective. They're not as ultra-aggressive on the recruiting trail, but what they do is they trust their evaluations. A lot of these high school coaches talked about the fact that Mullen is not scared of going and recruiting football players. If that means they got two stars or five stars next to their name, if they've evaluated them, they do, and this is what you hear pretty universally, they trust their in-house evaluations. But I do want to give you some quotes. I'm going to give you a few for each school because this is stuff that can't be said a couple of years from now. A couple of these staffs, especially Florida State staff, still brand new. So you give them a little bit of a grace period. I still feel like Manny Diaz and his staff are kind of sliding into the scene there. Not Manny, 
But remember, his first year is not like his second and third year. His first year, they made some staff hires that he realized year one they needed to overhaul. Rhett Lashley, for instance, was not there year one. He's the offensive coordinator there now. How about these, co- these anonymous, I want to say anonymous, coach quotes. On Florida, for example, an anonymous coach number seven, extra saucy coach number seven, he said, I never spoke to anyone on the phone in the spring. It was text messages. They asked me things like, who you got? It doesn't seem like they're interested in Jacksonville. I would guess this guy's coaching near Jacksonville. And he says, that's why you see a lot of our kids fly the coop. That's why Jacksonville is not Gator territory anymore and why Miami has come in here and gotten some really good players. I don't know if staff turnover is the issue. It's changed three times with Mullen in our area. Again, unless it's a situation where you have a kid they really want, there's not a bunch of networking going on. Another coach said, it's a little more exclusive at Florida. It doesn't seem like they cast a wide net. They used to do the mega camp stuff. Now they're really selective. It makes for less work. It has a little bit of arrogance to it. Yet another coach said, things have changed a lot because they do a lot of recruiting through Twitter. It's been over a year since I spoke to a coach from Florida. Lastly, coach number one said, I don't think Florida recruits South Florida. They're not good at it. Maybe that's by design. Maybe that's their strategy. Some of the coaches down here think they're taking a more national approach to recruiting. My point is, this can be anecdotal. Any one of them could be chalked up to sour grapes. You can't know who this is, so you can't know what the direct attachment is to Florida or whether there's an axe to grind. But I'm telling you, this is the feedback you hear a lot about Florida's recruiting effort right now. It's why I harp on it. I don't harp on it because I'm hating on the Gators. It's the exact opposite. I'd love to see Florida parked in the top three every signing day, and I think it is inexcusable when they're not close to it. See, they float in that 6 to 15 range any cycle, and if you are the Boise State Broncos, you look at that and say, wow, they're knocking it out of the park. Well, no, they're not knocking it out of the park. They're good. Florida recruits good in an area and at a program where you should recruit excellent. I would not, if I were a Florida fan, accept anything less. And my point is, when you got high school coaches in South Florida saying, we don't hear from them very much. In fact, I, I would guess their strategy is don't even recruit down here. I don't know that that's what I want high school coaches in my state saying about me. But it wasn't just a Florida bash fest. How about Florida State? Coach number five said, this group at Florida State, more professional, much more transparent with you. They're just not as active as Florida is. Okay, well, there you go, one for the Gators. Maybe the Tampa area is something they don't want to do. I don't know. Now, this was said by a couple of coaches, talking about Florida State and talking about how they haven't been active in Tampa. Look, my guess is they just haven't learned or haven't developed the strategy to attack the Tampa area yet. Because there are other areas where you read coaches talking about how they've, they've already gotten in there and we've already heard from them more, even though they're newer, then we have that Florida staff. Another coach on Florida State. FSU's had three head coaches in five years. They don't seem to have that drive to get into my area and win a lot of battles. Yet another coach, this time a scouting type, said, I think they've got a problem in Florida. They don't really have much of a footprint in Tampa. There's the Tampa theme again. I don't think they've got a footprint in a lot of areas. I think they're comfortable in areas they usually go to. To me, I think it's a little early to talk like that about Florida State staff. I know it sounds like I'm stumping for them. I don't have a dog in this. I promise you, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'd love for all of them to finish top five. The math works out. There is room. But I think it's early to say that about the Florida State staff only because I think it's trying to drink water from a fire hydrant when you walk in there, given the circumstances they walked in under last year, and tell you, all right, learn your entire roster, get ready for a season, we're going to take spring from you, you're really going to get an abbreviated version of fall camp, 
Also, I'm going to need you to learn every geographical recruiting territory in Florida, learn every coach, learn every high school staff, yada, yada, yada. There's just not enough time. They haven't had enough time to do it yet. So I give them somewhat of a pass there. Now, how about Miami? Miami, I think there was a lot of mixed feedback, which indicates to me Miami has been in some of these schools and they haven't been in some of the other schools. You could tell where they've been. For example, why don't you take a guess along with me if Miami has recruited coach number two school? Coach number two said, I'd say they're very lackadaisical or very laid back. They're not as aggressive as others. You'll have to wait until signing day to see if that approach works. Okay, that's kind of what a lot of people are saying about Miami's approach right now this year. But then juxtapose that to the very next coach who said, I think they're pretty aggressive. They've done a really good job in the past of getting kids on campus, whether it's junior day or whatever it is. They've always recruited our kids hard. Well, this just screams to me they've been in one school and hadn't been in the other school. Coach number 10 said they do a good job. They're going to get our guys before anybody else. If I've got a dude on our, on our uh, roster, they get to them before Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama. So these were some of the anonymous quotes. Again, that's like a fraction. This thing goes on forever. That's a fraction of the quotes. But here's one thing I wanted to stress. One of the most lazy go-to arguments I hear out of the state of Florida is, well, when the big boys come down here and take our players, well, they're just outbidding us. They're just paying more. Uh, this is, in a lot of ways, pure fantasy, but in other ways, it is the most over-dramatized and overused talking point in all of recruiting. Now, here's what I didn't just say. I didn't just say every recruiting effort for a kid that leaves the state is squeaky clean. That's not what I said. But I'm also telling you it's not some cash fest. It's not some auction block where the highest bidder is walking out of the state with your talent and you're just folding. You're saying, yep, I went as high as I'm going to go. Uh, that is, again, message board fantasy world. That's not how this scene's actually working. But if you don't want to take my word for it, I want you to take note. If you go and read this piece on The Athletic, they asked every single one of these coaches at the high school level and every single one of these scouts, they said, point blank, is that what's causing the disparity? Is money exchanging hands, illegal benefits, is that what's causing kids to leave the state? Not a single one of them even indicated. They weren't even so much anonymously as willing to indicate that that was playing a factor. Now, a few of them said, I hear things, but none of them even said they had direct knowledge of it. So here's what I'm asking. What's more plausible? Is it more plausible that through research on the internet, you have uncovered a treasure trove of information that singularly explains the recruiting tilt in Florida or could these guys maybe know a little bit more, and it's just that other staffs are out working them, and they're offering a better product? Because now, the last thing I wanted to mention is when these folks with The Athletic asked these coaches to compare the in-state recruiting efforts to the best out-of-state recruiting efforts, there was not a negative thing said. Todd Bates from Clemson, or Brent Venables from Clemson, or Nick Saban coming in there, Tony Alford from Ohio State, uh, Juwan Sider from Penn State got a lot of love in this piece, Corey Raymond from LSU, James Coley is at A&M. Those guys were spoke about more glowingly than anyone spoke about the in-state coaches in Florida right now. And again, this is not a biased article. If anything, the biases for these high school coaches is tilted towards the state of Florida. They want them to succeed. They want them to be good. You can tell, even though they didn't outright say it, 
the theme woven throughout this entire piece is that of frustration that the high school coaches keep having to send their kids a thousand miles north to play at the best program position to get them where they want to be at the next level. Because these guys aren't leaving and getting underdeveloped. One of them said, I was watching a national championship game recently, and Alabama put a secondary on the field entirely made up of South Florida kids. Like, on what planet should I be okay with that happening? If I'm any one of a fan of these big three, they did have good things to say about Central Florida and Gus Malzahn, too. So I did want to put that out there. So that's a really good piece. I would strongly encourage you to go check that out over on The Athletic. Let's move on here. Speaking of the Clemson Tigers, I, uh, I got told the other day I'm not talking about Clemson enough. And so I'm going to talk about Clemson some here. But I'm going to speak about them in a way that brings all of you in. Because every one of you has an opinion on Clemson. Colin, here we go. Let's talk about Clemson. The future of Clemson football, you know i got to put a Z in here. It's just the way I pronounce it. we got to live with it. What's the difference, though, in 2015 and 2021? You may say six years. Six years can mean an awful lot, though, in the world of college football. We have gone from an opinion marketplace, which was not saturated at all with Clemson, to an opinion marketplace now fully saturated. What I mean by that is simply everyone thinks something about Clemson. In 2015, if you're just a casual sports fan and someone told you, you're watching the title game Monday night, oh, who's in it? Clemson and Alabama. Alabama and who? Clemson's in the national title game? Wow. Uh, Who who plays for them? You know, you were asking things. Some of you may have asked, well, who's their head coach? Like, you may have not even known that. Everybody knows Dabo Swinney now. Everybody knows Trevor Lawrence. Everybody knows DJ Uyangale. Everyone ended up knowing who Deshaun Watson was. But my point is, everybody knows Clemson now. Well, there's some downside that comes with that. And there's a lot of difference in Clemson now. One of the biggest differences in Clemson 2015, when this run started, to present day, is they're now held to the Tier 1 standard. Talked about this with Oklahoma the other day. OU's never been held to the Tier 1 standard. They will this year. Truthfully, only Bama and maybe Ohio State and Clemson are held to the Tier 1 standard. And that's the only way to explain people saying things like, you know, Clemson feels like they're fading a little bit. Now, Clemson is, they're down a little bit. I don't think they've been what they used to be. Here's how you prove that's Tier 1 standard talk. What would you be saying about the University of Texas entering 2021 if they were coming off back-to-back years where they played for a national championship and they went to the college football playoff? Because that's Clemson slipping, allegedly. That's them fading, allegedly. That's what it feels like to be held to a Tier 1 standard. They weren't held to that in 2015. They are now. That's what success begats. I call it one of the consequences of success. Another one of those consequences of success for Clemson is... They're held to that standard, but the standard's okay. But there's also another consequence of success, and they're in the territory now where they're finding out about it because they're several years into this run. It's not new anymore. They're several years in. Clemson's got a strong culture. They'll be the first, second, and third to tell you about it, and with good reason. They should be proud of what they've built up there. And even among other national perennial contenders, Clemson's got something different. I've talked to many, many a high school kid who visits up there. Even the ones who don't commit to Clemson say, but it was different than every other place. No one gives bad reviews of their Clemson visit, in other words. But my point is, no culture built on humans is immune to flaws. You cannot have a culture made up of human beings that's flawless. And right now, the transition Dabo Swinney and any successful head coach has had to navigate is when you start these runs, everyone's willing to go over the cliff for the brand. 
that tiger paw in 2015 was what it was all about. Everybody's mentality. I remember in 2015 and 2016, I was on the field for both of those title games. That was a total, what can I do for Clemson group? Everybody felt that way. But then as you get success and you attract attention from places on the map that you used to not get attention paid to you from, inevitably, even as many filters as you put on your recruiting effort, you get some seepage into the locker room, and that seepage is a transition from a what can I do for Clemson to a what can Clemson do for me mentality. Now, I'm not ignorant. I know that's in every locker room. But at Bama, Nick Saban's had about a decade's advance on figuring this stuff out. Uh, Ryan Day is going to figure it out. Lincoln Riley's figuring it out. Kirby Smart's figuring it out. All these new coaches, they eventually have to figure that out. But at Clemson, they're figuring that out. If you look at them, there's no way to quantify this. Don't even try to fit a stat category around this. I'm just telling you, if you watched them last year and you think to yourself, if you're a Clemson fan, if you think to yourself, there's just a little something missing, you could go position group by position group. You can list those things. But you can also add this, not as the core reason, but a little bit of seasoning on top of the reason. Uh, once you adjust for this, you can, you can still perfectly win. Uh, it's just different. It's a different culture. Another thing that's changed for Clemson is I think Dabo Swinney's in the process of learning he has to redefine what the fuel that runs that engine is. And I've spoken about this ad nauseum on this show. I'm not going to spend 10 minutes on this again. Disrespect is not a sustainable fuel source. It's the easiest thing in the world to get pissed off when someone tells you someone says something bad about you. That's easy. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. I can get someone with the IQ of this laptop to get mad if I tell them, oh, someone's hating on you. Look, hey, look, 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 look at the quote here, buddy. Look what they said about you. That's not sustainable because the more fired up you get, the more damage you do, or in this case, it's a football team, the more winning you do. And then you get to a point, like Forrest Gump running out of the jungle, where there's no more fire. There's, there's, no, more, there's no more threat. And in your case, if you're Clemson, you win so much, there's no more disrespect. Well, if that was what you were using as your primary source of fuel, something external, then all of a sudden it dries up. Then what do you do? Well, what you do is you redefine how you fuel yourself. If you're Clemson, your recruiting is top-notch. Your organization is top-notch. Everything about your program is top-notch. Your coaching staff is top-notch. You don't need to use externals. If you hold yourself to the proper standard, everything else will operate the way it's supposed to. But I circle back to the question that we began this whole segment asking, where is Clemson? You can ask the question, what is Clemson? Where is Clemson right now? Well, they're right back where they've been for the last several years. They have excellent quarterback play. They've got an excellent quarterback pipeline in the recruiting world setup, which means they're recruiting every position well because those dominoes tend to fall right behind the quarterback position. Staff continuity is still great. I think they've still got the best defensive coordinator in college football. They've got really good talent and depth again after maybe a year's reloading period on the defensive line, which is when they've won titles where they've won them at. Even with good quarterback play, those defensive lines have won them national championships. They are still a remarkable program, still one of the very best in college football. I think 2018 confused some people, maybe even inside that Clemson bubble, confused some people with misleading you as to how relatively easy this was going to be to pull off. The reality is, if you win a title in this sport, it's supposed to look like that Clemson-Alabama game in 2016. It comes down to the last play. I mean, really, that's what it's supposed to look like. But two years later, 
for a number of reasons. It's not excuse-making. There were just a number of factors that went into that 2018 game. Clemson was the better team. They won the title. They should have won the title. But it was a blowout, and they weren't really that much better than Alabama, and you're never really that much better on that stage than the team lining up across from you. I don't care if they go to the title game this year. Hoomstever, they're lined up across from. They're not going to be 30 points better than them. You can win the game by that much, but you're not that much better than them. Well, the problem was you had a true freshman quarterback in 2018, and you go win in a route against the top program in the game. And I remember talking to some Clemson fans out in Santa Clara, and they were already thinking about, not only are we about to win the next two, because if Trevor won it as a true freshman, how in the world are we going to be stopped when he's a sophomore and a junior? Well, you never won another one, because the sport's not that easy, and the sport doesn't sit still. You can ask Bama. You can ask Florida State under Jimbo Fisher. You can ask Florida under Urban Meyer. You can have some dominance, but it's never going to sit still. The reason people make such a big deal about Saban is because he's won, and the sport's tried to adjust, and he just whacks him back down. And they try and adjust again, and he whacks him back down. And if he can't whack him down, he redefines his entire program, and then he just throws him into a wood chipper instead of whacking him down. Well, that's the difference in top program versus top team. If you want to transcend to being a top program, which Clemson already is, but if you want to ascend to being the top program, you have to redefine some things. I mean, that's the struggle. That's why even as they breeze through the ACC, when you watch the way they operate, they operate like their jobs are on the line each week. Well, that's holding yourself to a different standard. That's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. I just wish, this is me personally. I know some of you guys love this. Me personally, if I'm pulling for a team, I hate, hate, hate hearing the disrespect us against the world stuff because it just doesn't last. If we win that day, that's great. At what future expense have we won this game? Because I think about it down the road and I ask myself, well, when that barrel's dry, what are we drawing from? And the answer is sometimes you're not drawing anything. So I prefer the standard-based approach. It's more boring, less headlines, Press conferences aren't as fun, but the confetti sure does rain down just as pretty as it always did. I wanted to wrap up the show tonight. Uh, man, we got a lot of folks watching live, don't we? Thank you so much. Hey, like the video if you haven't already and subscribe to the channel while you're here. And thank you. Should have led with thank you, then humbly asked you to do the following too. Have you guys been paying attention today? Because it's Sunday. We're wrapping up a weekend where just as we told you was going to happen Thursday, we have had a wave of commitments. This July commitment wave don't know if it's ever going to happen to this degree again, but man, it's been fun. We've had actually in the last two hours, we had a new major commitment. I told our, again, I told our staff, let's wait as long as possible making the graphics so that we can make sure we have an up-to-date team ranking. So we do. And so let's talk about, in no particular order, really, let's talk about what's happened. Just in the last few hours, Oklahoma has indeed landed Malachi Nelson. This is a 2023 five-star quarterback. Told you the stat Thursday, it has now verified. Lincoln Riley, if Malachi Nelson goes on to sign, and these big-time quarterbacks don't tend to decommit, so if Malachi Nelson goes on to sign, that will be the third five-star quarterback that Lincoln Riley has signed in the last five cycles. And this one's from Los Angeles, California. They're going all across the country, are the Oklahoma Sooners, to get talent. They also got Trayon Webb over the weekend. That's a four-star athlete from Jacksonville. He's also, I believe, in that 2023 class. And I'll tell you something else that Oklahoma did that didn't get nearly as much spotlight. But a kid I really like in the 2022 class was Caden Helms. He's a three-star tight end 
probably like a tight end wide receiver. They could develop him to play either or both positions at the college level. He's 6'5", 220. I would venture to guess the reason he only has three stars next to his name is because he's viewed as sort of a tweener, but not for Oklahoma. If I'm a scout at Oklahoma, if I'm evaluating for Oklahoma, this kid's a four-star minimum for what they want to do with him because he's perfectly built for their system. Again, 6'5", could probably grow into that 225, 230. You could have him as a jumbo receiver. You love him as a tight end in that kind of offense with that size. So he's a perfect mold for that offense. So Oklahoma killed it. Oklahoma's been killing it. I, I just laugh. I was going back and forth with someone today, told me Oklahoma can't win a playoff. Everyone knows that, or so he said. And I said, I don't know that. And they screenshot the last few playoff results. And they said, here, let me educate you. And my response was, cool. Can we go back in time to 2015 and you educate me how Clemson can't win a national championship just because they haven't? Everyone forgets this. Does, does no one remember the term Clemsoning around here? Does no one remember how popular that was? They couldn't win it until they did. And then they won another one. And no one talks about that anymore. But apparently we, some of us, still live in a world where if you've never done something, it's automatic evidence you'll never do anything. I don't believe in that. I believe Oklahoma won a national title under Lincoln Riley. Moving on. Speaking of the Clemson Tigers. Colin, they better never say again that we don't speak about Clemson enough. Hey, what a weekend for Clemson. Some of the whispers were quieted this weekend. Some of those whispers from people who say, is recruiting starting to tail off a little bit for Clemson? Are they losing some of these battles? Have they, have they lost their bite? Well, then they just pull it out on Saturday morning, and they go and get Kayon Saab, and they go get Dalen Everett, and all of a sudden, by sundown Saturday, not many people were doubting Clemson's recruiting prowess anymore. Not that you ever should have been. So Keon Saab commits, that's four-star defensive back, from they're all from IMG. A lot of these kids are from IMG. So he is, Dalen Everett's also from IMG. I love Everett, man. Everett's picture on his 24-7 sports profile page is about as prototypical for any football player that you'll ever recruit, which falls right in line with the scouting report our guys give on him because prototype's the exact phrase they use. It's the exact term they use to talk about him. He's 6'1", 185. Many people, as I said, were watching these two because there were other players. North Carolina had a lot of love for Dalen Everett. Uh, Georgia had some momentum, according to some, for Keon Saab. Now, our man Steve Wolfong batted 1,000 this weekend. I mean, he nailed every single one of them, and so that's talent. It's God-given. I, I, don't, I, don't know that, I don't know that you can teach it. Will Fong is just, he's got that born-with-it type talent. But Keon Saab and Dalen Everett, they're both headed to Clemson, and so that bumps the Tigers up, I think, to 13th. But you're looking at their profile right now. You're looking at Saab's profile on the screen. But if you're looking at their profile, they're ranked 13th. But again, they're ultra-selective. Clemson never signs a full class because they never need to. But that average star ranking... It's up there at 93.44 now. Again, they've taken 13 guys. Uh, they're sitting just over 200 total points. They're not done. They will, uh, here's a pretty safe guess, they'll finish inside the top 10. Moving on, a guy I don't think we talked about Thursday, but also committed, Tyler Booker. This is another four-star guy. So there was a lot of IMG. There was a lot of IMG traction this past weekend. Tyler Booker, four-star Offensive tackle could play a couple of different positions, though, from IMG. He commits to Alabama. In 2015, this guy goes to the Nick Saban football camp. He put out a picture of it on Twitter the other day. He goes to Nick Saban's camp in 2015, and he shakes hands, as every kid does, with Nick Saban. And he was pretty big-bodied at that point. 
But if you're looking at the screen right now, let's take a look at what Tyler Booker became. From a physical stature standpoint, Nick Saban was pretty well developed. He was who he was going to be in 2015. However, Tyler Booker put on about another foot and a half, and so now that's him as a junior standing 6'5", 325. That's the number four overall offensive tackle in the country. I was talking to one of our Alabama sources today, and they said, look, the obvious here is he's a primetime player, like he's a highly rated kid, but the reason Bama likes him so much is because Bama over the last few years, they've shifted their offensive line approach to we're going to put the best five offensive linemen on the field. So over the past five years, Bama's offensive line approach has kind of shifted to find our best five, put them on the field. Well, what that does is it greatly behooves you to have guys that can cross-train and play multiple positions. Think Barrett Jones once upon a time. But more recently, Evan Neal, who's on the team right now, Alex Leatherwood, mentioning some South Florida guys again. Well, that's where Tyler Booker's from. Tyler Booker, of course, they like him at tackle at 6'4", 325. But at the same time, they feel that he could very easily, if they need him to, start at guard. So he can play a lot of different positions on the offensive line, right, left side. So he is tailor-made to play early. Obviously, physically pretty advanced there. I also wanted to touch on this. Katron Allen is the four-star running back at IMG. You notice the theme continue here. Uh, This IMG infomercial rolls on. He committed to Penn State, as we expected him to do. And so Katron Allen joins Nicholas Singleton. Those are two four-star running backs for this cycle. As a duo, they go to Penn State, talked about the whole running back by committee approach being much more favorable than primetime featured running back in 2021. Don't fall for it, kids. Penn State's got the number two class in the country right now. Hats off to James Franklin. And last but not least, Gunnar Gibbons. We predicted him to Virginia Tech, four-star offensive lineman. He does indeed land at Virginia Tech. I've got to give credit to Justin Fuente and his staff. They have the number 15 class in the country right now. That is a mild to moderate surprise for a lot of people in our industry and a lot of college football fans. So now the last point I want to make, I want you to envision this. Virginia Tech is sitting there with a top 15 class and then North Carolina comes in week one and Virginia Tech upsets them. It's less than a touchdown spread on that game. How quickly would the story have shifted only because I don't like using the word narrative. How quickly will the story have shifted on Justin Fuente from dead man walking before the Virginia game this past year to smoking Virginia at the um, expense of our wallets, by the way, derailed the Ramen Noodle Express that day. All of a sudden, they smoke Virginia, they keep their jobs, they're landing a big-time class or in the process of putting one together, and then they upset North Carolina week one. People will look around and say, where'd this come from? That's how quickly it can change in college football. So it was a big weekend, and it's not done. Still several more commitments to come this day. July recruiting wave. It's been a fun time. Hey, I appreciate you watching live. I mean, we, we, this is a good number. Now, it pales in comparison to what we'll have during the season. But as I told you, uh, it's go time right now. I mean, we, we don't have any more downtime. I told you we're about to go back to three shows a week. We've got full season previews. I'll put our season previews up against any other product out there. We're going to dive really deep on them. We're going to go individually, team by team. I'm going to have separate products out on the social channels. At Late Kick Josh, you're going to want to be following those. But also, we got a couple of things coming up. Director Colin knows about it. Our crew knows about it. I know about it. Some of my immediate family know about it. But some people who work here even don't know about it. There are some changes coming, good changes for the better. Um, So we're not going to space. We're not doing the Richard Branson thing quite yet. That's at least 2022 before we'll be able to pull off a show from space. But I do have a lot of excitement about what's coming. So again, 
It's go time. I mean, for all intents and purposes, our season's starting now. Make sure you're subscribed. Do not miss a show because we do not do a review at the beginning of the next show. So make sure you're watching, listening. Five-star reviews, very much appreciated on the podcast side. And the most important thing is make sure you're telling as many people as possible. I'm looking at our numbers, and there's just a little hockey stick effect. Every single chart they show us, hockey stick. Our numbers have exponentially gone up over the past couple of months, and it's because of that. I know it's because of that. I thank you every single show because of that. Let's keep doing that, and we will have the best season that we could possibly have. We're holding ourselves to the standard. We're not paying attention to the doubters. We're just holding ourselves to the standard. So for Director Colin, for our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, thank you so much. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.